This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. And for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Mindsetters, just finished up a really fun, quick episode with Travis Watts, who is a passive investor, works with Ashcroft Capital. But what I really love about this episode is that he wasn't active. He was doing things on his own. He was managing his own properties. He was in the thick of things and he made a shift. He made a mindset shift, he made a belief shift, and he decided to go this passive route. And so we dive a little bit deeper into the mindset of a passive investor, how to think about some of these deals, how to navigate through what we might be facing in the upcoming economic changes. But we look at that from the view of a passive investor, and I think this is a fun episode. I think you guys are gonna get a lot out of it. Before we jump into it, if you're the kind of person who likes to help other people, and you find some value in this episode, I hope and I encourage you to share it with somebody else because they too will also find some value. And if you haven't, make sure you hit that subscribe button and go drop us a review on your favorite podcasting app so we can help reach more people. Those reviews really help signify to the algorithm, signify to other people that this is a phenomenal podcast and we wanna make sure that our mission gets through so everyone can start doing the things that really matter most in their life. So without further ado, let's dive into this episode. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I am very excited to have Travis Watts in the studio today. How are you doing, Travis? Hey, doing great. Thanks, Stephen. Well, thank you for being here. And I'm excited about Travis because he's a full-time passive investor. We don't always talk to passive investors, but we're going to really get into some good stuff today. He's been investing in real estate since 2009 in multifamily, single family, and vacation rentals. And he's also the director of investor relations at Ashcroft Capital, which of course is Joe Fairless's company. And Travis has invested in over 25 passive syndications between 14 different firms. And he now focuses 100% of his time going out, building relationships, educating investors, really on his mission to help share the benefits of passive investing with everyone out there. You ready to dive into some stuff, Travis? Let's do it. All right. Well, you're obviously on track. You're living a good life, it sounds like. So tell me, why don't we start out by taking a look back at earlier in your life? What events from your childhood shaped who you are today? Wow. Yeah, that, that's a great question. <laughs> I think that the, the single biggest thing for me growing up through childhood was just my parents. I had two parents that were both independently very frugal, who kind of taught me right, a lot of money lessons early on. Not so much you know, how to invest or what to invest in. They, they themselves early on weren't investors at all. But just the fact of you know, knowing uh, that you need a budget or you know, when I was, you know, five, six, seven, I mean, especially back then, they were probably most frugal. It was going to the grocery store with, you know, a full book of coupons. If it wasn't on sale or we didn't have a coupon, you know, we weren't buying it, you know, <laughs> or we had to buy the off brand or, you know, whatever. So it really kind of opened my eyes indirectly. They weren't setting out to like one on one teach me that stuff, but I really picked up a lot to be diligent, to be wise with your money. And that, you know, in all honesty, I, I grew up with a scarcity mindset with money, thinking there wasn't enough and there was a lack of abundance. And so in a lot of ways that helped me, 
because I have much more of an abundance mindset today. And to be able to compare and contrast the two is very helpful. But uh, I would say, yeah, childhood and reflecting back, that, that would definitely be the single biggest contributor. Well, it's so interesting because coming up and growing up, I can relate a lot to that similar story of coupons in the grocery store and not really believing that there's a lot of money out there. But tell me, how has growing up with that lack, but then now evolving into having that, you know, the, the abundance mindset, how has that helped you kind of out in the investing world? Yeah, I think that uh, you know when I first started investing, I was still kind of in that scarcity mode, but I was starting to learn through books, you know, and through mentors, through other sources that you know there's a lot of opportunity out there, and there's a lot of different things that you can be doing, and so it, it helped me stay very diligent and very structured to do my first few deals, and as I started seeing that you know cash flow really is a thing and passive income, you know, you really can be a, a passive investor. That's a real thing. And then to start kind of calculating that path and realize that maybe it is a little better than I originally set out and thought, you know, and there's a great quote out there. I I think it's maybe a a Tony Robbins quote, but it's that, you know, most people overestimate what they can achieve in a year and underestimate what they can achieve in a decade. And that couldn't be more true to my story. So, you know, fast forward, I've been in real estate now a little over 10 years, whatever, 11 years. But uh, man, what an evolution, you know, of mindset and growth and, mm-hmm. and everything else. Well, it's just such a cool path to be on because when you come from that kind of a background, you grow up maybe not having a lot or you grow up really believing that there's not a lot available, that you can't just go and create this. And then you change that mindset you have an empathy that you can connect with other people, other investors who maybe are kind of in that transition. And that really, I, I'm sure, helps you as you're going out and helping show people what's possible on the passive investing side. Exactly. That's probably the biggest takeaway is that, you know, you can relate to a lot of folks and say, look, I've been there, I've done that. And, you know, this is kind of what helped me or check out this book, you know, that'll really open your mindset or whatever it may be. Absolutely, though. That's amazing. So Travis, tell us a little bit about what it is that you do. What's your primary focus as an investor these days? It sounds like you're not the typical operator. You're not out there trying to hustle and get another deal or flip a house. You're on the passive side. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I I totally started on the active side unknowingly. (laughs) I thought, you know, when somebody in 2009 had said, you know, real estate investor, the only thing that came to my mind at all was a single family home in your own backyard, so to speak, right? Your own neighborhood. So uh, that's how I got started. And I just kind of, I did a lot of different active single family models, if you will. So I did house hacking and fix and flips and some single family buy and holds. And then I got into some vacation rentals and you know the Airbnb stuff. And it was around that time that I really had just built myself a second job that I wasn't able to take on. I mean, that's truthfully what happened. So in 2015, I made, you know, I I sat down and I kind of went back to the drawing board to say, how can I be a passive investor? I had heard of that before and I knew some people did it somehow. I guess my perception was that those folks were, you know, billionaires or something. You know, that wasn't really in the cards for me. I couldn't do that. And as I learned about syndication investing and, you know, different investors pooling their funds together to buy, you know, like an apartment complex, as an example, that model really resonated with me. It allowed me to be 
100% hands off, 100% passive. It was scalable. You know, it still provided the tax benefits, the monthly distributions and income and all that kind of stuff in the equity participation. So uh, I made a full shift from 2015, 2016, somewhere in that gap. I sold all my single family portfolio. And now I'm 100% in syndications as a full-time passive investor. And so when you go from something like that, where you're, you're super active, you know, you're owning the property, you're managing yourself, especially if you're doing short-term rentals, that's a lot of turnovers. <laughs> I, yeah. I've done quite a few of those myself. What was it that said to you like, okay, this is going to give me just as much return as if I'm active, but I don't have to do anything. Like what, what gave you the belief that this is actually going to work? It's not too good to be true. That's a great point because honestly, I thought it was too good to be true. I was that person. I was the most skeptical. I was, you know, as I kept hearing the word syndication, I was looking at these overviews or these pro formas, right? These projected returns, I'm thinking, there's no way. Like, you know, I'm doing all this work and all this labor and all this time, and I'm, I'm not even making those returns, you know, back in 2015. So I was very skeptical, but I had enough belief in me to do one. So that's how I started. I did one syndication. I found a local group. I thought that would be important, you know, face-to-face meetup and kind of, <laughs> I know where you live. <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, that, that's how I got started. And I sat back about six months or so, and I watched the monthly reporting come in, the monthly distributions, you know, the, the pro forma projections matched up with reality. And I thought, man, and that, that's really where it, it, it was like that epiphany or that breakthrough, that moment of like, this is really real. I mean, this is something you can really do. So that's kind of where I I started putting everything up for sale and saying, this is the path I want to take. And, you know, it's a leap of faith, but so far, so good. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting move, but one that actually gives you the real reason why you got into the business in the first place. Because so many of us, we get in, we say, hey, I'm going to be a real estate investor so I can build some passive income so I can have that freedom. And then what we've really built is a job for ourselves. And that can be great as well. But we have to know what we're doing with that intention going in and keep to that outcome along the path. So obviously you've 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 had some challenges along the way. Tell me a little bit about, you know, one of the big challenges. It sounds like uh, we were talking offline about the oil field story. Yeah, exactly. So leading up to this, when I say I built myself a second job and I wasn't able to take it on, so I was working in oil field job out in Colorado, and it was 98-hour work weeks consistently. So that's 14-hour days. And then you'd work you know, a couple weeks straight and then have a few days off and then rinse and repeat. And so it was really the grind. And it was really, you know, I was out of town a lot of times, and I just had zero time to commit to managing tenants and fixing hot water tanks and sprinklers and all this. And, and it just got worse and worse and worse. And one of the last things that I did in the oil field is I took a job overseas. I was working in Saudi Arabia and wasn't quite as many hours each day, but I was away from the States for 37 days at a time. In that period, of course, and obviously without cell service too, I mean, so tenants trying to reach me and this happened. And of course, heaters blow up and everything goes wrong when you're gone, you know. And so it was kind of around that time period that I got to thinking, you know, there's no way, man. Like I can't take this single family portfolio and have 50 homes or have 100 homes. Even with a property manager, there's just too much that requires my time. 
you know, in my ability. So that was one of the biggest challenges that I faced was the lack of being able to scale that model in that business. And like you said, I mean, I set out for passive income and I wanted to be a passive investor. At the same time, I was just dedicating more and more time to that particular model. So that was a huge challenge that I had to overcome. And like I said, I had to go back to the drawing board and kind of reinvent the wheel from scratch. I had everything in my head from give up on real estate. It's not for me. It's too active. It's not what I thought to, like I said, some people are doing it. Obviously, I need to find out how and who and, you know, maybe get a mentor or whatever. That's the path I took. So. And when you're in that position and you're like, I'm not really sure what to do, what made you decide to keep going versus just giving up and saying, you know, this is taking too much time or, or better yet, you know, just hiring a property manager because then you won't have to manage any of this stuff yourself. That seems like the path that most people would go. What made you not go that path versus, versus others? Yeah. So my very first step uh, from realizing I was kind of getting in over my head was to hire a property manager. And I did do that. But there's still a lot of elements besides just, quote unquote, managing tenants that you have to worry about. You know, like if a AC unit goes out, it still went out. I mean, yeah, I have a property manager and yeah, they're, they're going to call me and say, your AC unit went out, but I'm still having to make a decision. Do I want to you know, have it fixed? Do I want to buy a used one, a new one? You know, it's still issues that are requiring my my time, you know, and uh, plus I'm managing the asset manager, so to speak, and still have the same tenant issues. And I'm still having to collect and file my receipts and, you know, figure out what's what I can write off and what I can. It's just very active, no matter how you spin it. The reason I chose to continue the path is number one, I'd seen some great results come from real estate, firm believer in the asset class itself, just real estate in any realm, there's a lot of great things to be appreciated about investing in real estate. Uh, So I didn't want to give up on that. I didn't want to just change it in for, you know, trading stocks or doing some other kind of stock investing and index funds or whatever. And I've always been a huge proponent of self-education. And so I was willing to pick up a book, you know, to start reading. I was willing to listen to podcasts, willing to, you know, find a mentor, willing to go to real estate meetups, that kind of stuff. That's just part of who I am. And I just love personal growth and development. I realize that's not for everyone, but for me, that's what I did. I think it should be for everyone. And for all the people who are listening and it's not, you think it's not for you, you've probably already shut off the podcast by now. (laughs) But the truth is like, whether people want to buy into that idea of like, this is personal development, this is personal growth, or I'm just going to go learn something new. It's the same thing. We've just put a label on it. But what I'm really interested in here is, so you're a passive, you're out working with and helping other people come into Ashcroft Capital, which has you know hundreds of millions of dollars, nearly a billion dollars of assets under management. You guys are doing some really big things. What is your recommendation or how do you recommend passive investors look at it? How should they think about investing in the current climate today as we look at potentially going into some kind of recession or flattening in the market where returns are already starting to get compressed because there's so much capital available. Mm -hmm. What is your recommendation for an investor to go out when they're reviewing these deals and thinking, hey, I want to get involved, but how do I make sure I don't get screwed on a deal? Yeah, absolutely. 
Some of the first mistakes we'll say that I made when I got started in syndications is not vetting the operator, right? The general partner, just looking at a pro forma and saying, wow, you know, that looks like some pretty nice numbers. Here's my money. (laughs) Hopefully that works out. In my experience, the folks that I invested with, with the least amount of track record and deals under their belt, butchered up the business plan the most. And, you know, back to the asset class, I'm a firm believer in buying something that's a bit distressed or has some deferred maintenance, fixing it up, whether you're doing that yourself or doing that in a syndication passively. And then you're increasing the value, you know, you're, you're quote unquote, forcing the appreciation. So when we talk about syndications, that could mean a lot of things. You can do a, a ground up development syndication. You can do a really you know, C and D class area syndication, heavy lift syndication where you're gutting everything, starting over. I'm a believer personally in B class and C class. So these are older properties from 70s, 80s, 90s. Like I said, deferred maintenance, maybe bad property management, all kinds of reasons why a property could be struggling. But the point is you're going to find a competent, capable team to come in, fix whatever issues that property has, bring the appreciation up, bring the rents back up to the market levels. And then you're going to try to find a, a buyer in most cases, you know, to sell. You might do a refinance or other types of strategies. But I think going into, you know, what could be a recessionary period and maybe a year, two years, five years, nobody knows. But I think, you know, <laughs> we're, we're past due for one if you look at history. So I'd say that uh, I'm still a believer though today, even if I knew there's going to be a recession in a couple of years, I'd still be investing as I do today in B and C class. But with the caveat that you need a competent team that has the track record that's done it before It's putting good debt structures, long-term debt structures on a shorter-term business plan for all the what-ifs, you know? And you need to ask those questions, by the way, to the operator. You know, what happens if we go in recession? What happens if the property floods? What happens if we get hit by a tornado? You know, what... Whatever your worries are, you need to get them addressed by the operators. So yeah, at, at the end of the day, I'm a believer in that. It's uh, affordable housing. It's workforce housing. However you want to coin the term, that's what I'm talking about investing in. And without a doubt, that is highly demanded in so many places across the states. And you just can't build something new today, brand new, and go charge you know 800 bucks a month in rent. I mean, your numbers aren't going to work. So to buy something existing that's very limited out there is is a great place to be, in my opinion. So if I summarize kind of what I'm gathering from this is that even if we were going to go into recession, even if property values are going to drop, people are still going to need a house and people are still going to need an apartment to live in. And at this price point, from a rent perspective, it can't really go down from here. Maybe rents could go a little bit down, but people still are going to need a, a place to live and that that's going to be, you know, be able to hold true for the long term. And if you're with the right people who are going to manage that property well, who are going to manage that investment, then you should theoretically get out on the other side in a good place. Yeah, the, the whole reason I invest in these types of uh, syndications and B and C class is for the cash flow. And what's nice about buying an older property is that you a lot of times have the historics that you can look at before you even get involved with that property. So the, the properties that we're closing on today, you can look back at 2008, 2009 in the recession and say, what happened, man? Someone was holding this property with debt on it. 
what happened? So then you can see, well, occupancy went from 95 to 88, you know, or whatever. Yeah, it had a slight dip, but hey, our break even would be like 65% occupancy, just as an example. So, you know, to me, that's pretty conservative. You know, what did the stock market do? It dumped 40%, you know, and, and sometimes that wasn't in a dividend paying stock, you know, so kind of a risk reward thing. But my, my main focus is, is passive income. And that's why I invest. So if the equity's not there, it's not there, but the cash flow should be there with the right operator and the right kind of purchase. Hey, that makes so much sense. So talk to me a little bit about how you would define success, Travis, and what is success to you? Wow. Yeah, that's obviously different for everybody. So I used to think of it in terms of financial success, right? And that's probably because I didn't have a lot of financial success myself. <laughs> so everything was like looking forward on, on that kind of thing. Different for everybody. I hear a lot, you know, folks with families and kids, you know, it's about being a great parent, you know, and that kind of thing. I don't have a family myself, so I guess I can't define it that way. I don't know what you don't know. To me, it's okay. Here's how I would define it. I believe that everybody can reach financial independence themselves, okay? But it's not about the money, okay? What it's about is when you have enough passive income or income sources, right, passively without you having to work, that exceeds your lifestyle expenses, right? So now you can afford to live without having to work. It's now optional to go do kind of the nine to five thing. At that point, you get to choose what you focus your time and efforts on. And I think it's really much more about time and what I coin as, you know, time freedom. And to me, that, that's the whole game. So you're successful when you get to do what you want with your time, whether that's charity or family or travel or whatever it is. And so I would say kind of do some soul searching there. And what it is for me, once I kind of hit that FI number, that financial independence number is so I'm working now with Ashcroft Capital. That's a group I've been investing with for years. I now get the benefits of going to a lot of seminars and meetups and real estate events, networking with folks and helping people along their own journey to financial independence. So I'm, you know, I've sucked down all this knowledge through books and podcasts and mentors. And now I get to relay that back out to folks, you know, for free <laughs> to help them along their journey. So for me, it's about giving back in what helped me the most in my career path. And so with that definition of success, do you feel successful? I do feel successful, but I still feel like there's so much more to expand on. And like I said, my definition will change over time, I'm sure. I, I'm sure I'm always going to want to give back in one form or another. But, you know, if I have a family and, and kids, you know, a few years down the road, I may be focusing a lot more emphasis there and, and kind of redefining what that means for me. Absolutely. I think that's one of the best things about life is that we keep growing, we keep changing. And that definition of success obviously has grown along the way. So tell me, what are some of the keystone habits, the things that you do on a daily or weekly basis that kind of help you live a successful life? I think it's all self-education. Everything that we're talking about is just identifying with yourself what your strengths are and what you like and what you dislike. And so many folks, including myself, go through so many years of life without ever questioning any of that stuff. You know, for example, you're going to buy like a, a brand new BMW or something, but, but is that truly what makes you happy? And for some people, Yes. And for others, no, it's just kind of what society says you should do when you become a 
blah, 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 you know, a doctor, a dentist, you know, whatever. And so it, it's just, it's, it's kind of charting out. I mean, this is what my wife and I do all the time is, is we're always evaluating, you know, what's giving us the most happiness for the money and the time that we're contributing towards it. You know, and so we were going down this path where we were buying a bigger home and a bigger home and a bigger home and a big, and at a certain point we stopped and we're like, we don't even need a home this big. We don't even use three quarters of this house. So what's the next step to, to get in one more bedroom? I mean, it makes no sense. You know, we're spending mm-hmm. all this time and money and energy on something that isn't even bringing us any happiness. We actually went the other direction. We sold that home. We got a smaller home. We sold that home. We got a smaller home. <laughs> and so, you know, we're finding <laughs> that the smaller we go, the happier we are. So it, it's just different for everybody. But that was a lot of self-reflection. And it's like, how much of that came from society and how much of that came from, you know, whatever, yeah, just movies and, and press and stuff versus us, you know, what what's really making us happy. That's such good advice. I hope people will press pause and rewind and re-listen to that one again, because that can make a difference if you start living with some of those thoughts in mind. So we've made it to the growth rapid fire round where the questions are quick, but the answers don't need to be. So tell me what's a book that's impacted your life the most or one you're excited about right now? Man, you know, one of my all-time favorites is Tax-Free Wealth, Tom Wheelwright's book. Amazing. I mean, just, just to open your eyes, you know, to the possibilities out there to truly pay very little in taxes. And when you, again, it's like, it's self-education, it's self-reflection. But when you look back and you're like, man, you know, 30, 40, 50% of my income is going to taxes, depending on the state you live in and, you know, your income brackets, but those are huge numbers, often more expense than, you know, housing altogether. And to think and to, to understand, to learn how you can reduce that to zero, and there's so many different ways to do that is so impactful. For a lot of people, that could mean shaving off 10, 15 years of a working career. I mean, that's impactful. That's my favorite book. It's huge. It's a big, big difference. And so many people don't know about the benefits if you know how to live tax-free and invest in the right things. But yep. from an inspiration standpoint, what, what impact have mentors made in your life? And how do you look at going out and finding great mentors? Wow. Yeah, that, that's a great one too. So here's kind of the funny thing about mentors. <laughs> they change. I, I don't think that you're going to find necessarily one mentor where it's like, found the right one and they're going to be my mentor till the day I die. You know, it's somebody is going to have the skill set and the background and the history that you need to get to your next step. Once you get there, they may not be the right mentor anymore. So my mentors... It can range from anything from like family members and friends, people in my own network to, you know, books to, you know, podcasters, YouTubers. <laughs> There's so many different sources for a mentor. But once you kind of achieve what it is you set out to achieve, I kind of, in most cases, go seeking my next mentor to get me to the next goal that I set at that time. Oh, that's big. That's big. From a purpose perspective, what drives you to live your best life every day? I think that in general, I'm just very excited for the future. I mean, I am an optimist, maybe like uh, Charlie Munger's coined, you know, he's a, uh, what did he say? He's a, um, uh, a cheerful pessimist. <laughs> so cheerful in the mm-hmm. sense that I think overall, he's, he's an optimist long term, but, but he's pessimist on like the deals and the investments, you know, what could go wrong and that kind of stuff. But I kind of have the same philosophy. In general, though, I'm excited for, you know, traveling a whole lot more 
you know, doing a whole lot more with my wife and, and fulfilling our goals, you know, starting a family. I mean, there's a lot of things I'm looking forward to. And that just motivates me. You know, I want to be healthy and I want to be capable and, you know, I want to be successful for those reasons and for others. That's so great. Well, this was a lot of fun. I hope everyone got a lot from this and I'm sure that they did. So Travis, where can people find out more about you or get in touch? I think uh, probably email's the best way. Email me at Travis at AshcroftCapital.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Bigger Pockets. So definitely reach out. Happy to help. Anything that we discussed here today or, you know, in interest in Ashcroft, you know, I, I help on anywhere I can <laughs> reasonably help. So reach out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Travis. And I look forward to the next time we get to hang out. All right, Stephen. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.